less stress, more time, more money. Welcome to the Cash Flow Contractor interview. Martin, I, I'm a little bit embarrassed because I figured something out uh, over on, I think it was on Monday, uh, but you weren't you weren't. You here know how to court. tie your shoes now? I, I finally learned. I've been wearing flip-flops my whole life just because I couldn't <laughs> learn how to tie shoes. No, I... I learned that we've had our mic set up incorrectly for about two years. Uh, we'll see if it makes a difference in our audio because I don't, I don't think it makes that big of a difference. But like our mic, I always thought it came out of the bottom. Like, or that's the top of the mic. It like pointed directly at your mouth and that's what I was trying to do. But I learned that it actually comes from the side and we have it on like a one side and it's where the volume, right. the side where the volume button is on these mics. So maybe we'll have this profound. Do we have it on the right side or the left side? Uh, we've had it straight on, so it's been on the right side. It's been it's been straight on, and so it's been picking up like the reverb around the room. Anyways, maybe that's been our issue with growing this podcast. Like we've been trying to get to fifty thousand subscribers, and it's just been a, a journey, and uh, it's because our sound has been so bad. I'm, you you I'm disagree? Sure that's good. <laughs> yeah. No, I, uh, I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, I was telling Sean this podcast would not happen without Khalil and Lauren and before Ethan. Yeah. I just show up. You just show up. Well, that's good. Well, we've got someone showing up with us, Sean, today. Sean, thanks for joining us. Yeah. Hey, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Great to be here. Yeah. We're excited to have you on. Um, you've, met, you've known Martin for three years Three or four years, something like that. Oh, more than that, yeah. Yeah, something like that. Been a while. I met you shortly after you that know, too. I I forget where you're from, but from your accent, is it like Alabama? Uh, Minnesota. <laughs> okay, Minnesota. Minnesota. Yep. Oh, Mato. Yeah, I I knew it was one of the two. Martin, what, what's your Minnesota experience? You ever been up there? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I love Minnesota. Any, any good Minnesota stories for us? I went to camp there when I was like 12 years old. That was formative. Well, one thing is land of the million lakes or whatever. Thousand lakes. And uh, thousand. Yeah. yeah, thousand lakes. Thousand lakes. Did yeah. you know Oklahoma has more lakes than Minnesota? I did not. I, I didn't know yeah. that. Is that we true? Have more, we have more, yeah, and we have more shoreline in Oklahoma than all three coasts of, of the United States. Wow. The yeah. Gulf, the Pacific, and the Atlantic. You're, yeah. ma- you're making Oklahoma sound a little better than it probably is. What's, uh, <laughs> is this all just the man-made no, it, lakes it's all, and ponds? Yeah, it's, it's man-made stuff, but it's true, or it used to be true. Maybe it's not now. Oh, that's but, interesting. The, the, hey, another, another fact, because we've had some really hot weather here, uh, it's 111. Was that last week, Clint? Yeah, last Tuesday. The, Tuesday. It, but the feels like was like 118. Yeah, well, the, the widest spread – between the highest high and the lowest ho- low in a year was at Venita, Oklahoma, with a high that year of 113 and a low of minus 31. Wow. Wow. There you go. So now, anybody want to check that out? I've, I've said that for a long time, and there, a couple of times I've checked it out and said, that can't be right. But I'm not checking it again, but that 140 whatever. So is this 144 thought, thought Minnesota was bad for weather swings. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's. Well, should, so should we, 
like, is this supposed to translate into the business podcast if there's like highs and lows and like big swings? Is that what you're trying to get into? And it gets real hot. It gets (laughs) real hot on occasion and cold. Customers go cold. No, uh, my only time in Minnesota was uh, visited Minneapolis, uh, University of Minnesota area uh, for about a couple days. And it was in the middle of December. And I had no idea why I was there because it was so cold. But you guys are used to that. Uh, the tunnels underneath the campus of Minnesota were wild. Like you could just see the entire university underground. Uh, pretty interesting. What's it? What's it? Hey, is that? Go ahead. Is that Hubert Humphrey Center still there with the inflatable roof in Minneapolis yeah. where they play football you're and ma- stuff? You're making Sean look bad. The Metrodome? Uh, there was the, the yeah the old twin stadium or whatever they tore they built yeah, the new stadium. I'm not sure, but I mean it had a had an inflatable roof. Yeah, right? yeah, I think that collapsed with the snow. <laughs> I well, that was going to be my story because I was up there with a business broker when they were building that, and they just inflated it. And I asked him, I said, you know, it was just a blowing up deal with cables holding it yep. down, you know. And I asked the guy, I said, man. What happens when it snows? And he says, oh, they got that all figured out. About three months later, he sent me a picture. <laughs> the snow had collapsed the dome. Oh, man. That's getting to be a long time ago. Yeah. Crazy. Well, Sean, what's, uh, let's talk about your business a little bit for a second in Minnesota. Um, you're, you're a cabinet shop. Did it always start that way? You know, it started my passion for just – being involved with the trade started when I could walk, right? Mm-hmm. I, my dad was a carpenter, so I was always following him around, you know, getting in, getting in his way more or less, but learning. Uh, then I took a shop class in high school and really found that I loved woodworking and and wanted to pursue that as a as a career. Probably really made that decision by about 15, 16 and installed my first kitchen when I was 16 years old and started. Is that a job you did by yourself or is your dad's job that you installed for him? So my dad never got into the cabinetry. He was always just uh, window siding, roofing, framing. Um, So that was a job I did completely on my own. Uh, Actually had an aunt help me a little bit with the finish process, but yeah, it was, uh, it was just a, small little 20 by 20 garage that we did it out of and and uh, made it made it happen started doing fireplace mantles for a guy in hutch and just kind of started taking off and we needed a bigger shop so we moved to cocado very interesting how long ago was that well we moved to cocado when i was 20 so and i say we it was really just me and I had maybe one or two part-time helpers at the time, um, and so that I'm 30 now, so decade, and uh, was yeah. going pretty strong by the time we moved to Cocado already. So I really, like I say, probably had about three, four years into it when I did and make Co- that move. Cocado, you're just outside of the mini, uh, the Minneapolis area, right? Yeah, not too far. We do a lot of work around Lake Minnetonka, so we're about. 35 40 minutes from there gotcha um, if you want to go to twin cities or the airport you're about an hour okay gotcha and man what was 
did you sell those first jobs that you were doing or was it just kind of like somebody heard that you were a cabinet shop guy and said hey can you do this well so actually what happened was my aunt and uncle were the were the two people that were like okay you can use our garage because my parents were like eh, i don't know about all the dust and don't know about the equipment and the car sitting yeah. outside and so my my aunt's like i think we could we could make something work and and so you know they started seeing some fireplace mantles and they're like hey we we kind of want a kitchen so we ended up kind of trading a kitchen you know building their kitchen for the use of their garage which Perfect. he had my uncle had a had a hobby shop in there already anyway because he was building fly fishing rods by hand um, so wow, that's, wow. you know using bamboo to make a custom rod and that was pretty cool he taught me that process too that's cool you're a fisherman right you know i like to get out when i can <laughs> yeah you were telling me you go to is it south dakota or north dakota did you ever well figure that out? i went to south dakota here over the fourth of july uh, okay second trip out there uh but prior to that a lot of time when you know growing up my dad and my mom took us up to uh, Mille Lacs Lake fishing. So walleye, okay. it's a it's a really good walleye lake. We'd always get our limits. <laughs> gotcha. I remember Never we had them. a uh, we had a group webinar with a bunch of cabinet makers a few years ago, and you participated from an ice shed sitting on a. You remember that? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. He's out sitting in a shed on a frozen lake. <laughs> I think that was up on golf. Yep. Yeah. That's wild. Man, so interesting. Is it not just like freezing the entire time you're out there or is the shed pretty warm? Well, I try to not be the one who has to go out there and set it all up. You know, you, if you can uh, just go from your heated truck to the heated fish house, you're doing pretty good. Nice. <laughs> That's great. That's great. So you, you, you did your first job for your, for your aunt and your uncle. When did you get your next job? Like what was the process there was it just a family friend or what well and and i did my first kitchen for my aunt and uncle i guess the jobs were already kind of rolling in with fireplace okay. mantles and i actually went into the hutch mall at the time and met a guy by the name of tim burley he had a fireplace uh and pool fireplace pool and spa he called it and so i started building all his mantles i just went in there and said hey where are you getting your mantles you know and and he was like, well, we get them online and they take kind of a long time and they're not always the best quality. So he was super excited about that relationship and cool. probably built a couple hundred of them for him. Oh, wow. Yeah, wow. so it was perfect working for a small space, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And so when did you get back into, I mean, you're doing these mantles, when did you get back into doing kitchens? Well, the first kitchen was my aunt and uncle's and that was kind of the the segue into doing more kitchens and okay. realizing, oh wow, I like kitchens. You know, you can cut all the parts out and there's some repeatability, you know, and you can sure. scale it a little bit easier. So started pursuing that those type of projects more and you quickly realize that a twenty by twenty gets really tight. Four hundred yeah. square feet is is not enough room to do kitchens. Effectively. Yeah. And you were built you were building all these on a table saw? Yeah. Use yeah, you oh, got it, man. Martin. So, Just using a table yeah. saw. The first some of the first projects even even to using a skill saw and 
Oh, wow. And, you know, just being very primitive, but, you know, still getting it. You can get it looking good if you if you take your time and, you know, just have a have a want to get it done right. So, so you're in high school at this point. I mean, are you getting buddies to help you? Is it just you only in that garage? What's that look no, like? No, I was, I was getting buddies to help me. They, they'd come in after school and, and help me cut out the sheet goods and, and uh, put together parts, you know. So I was definitely leveraging that. Uh, I was <laughs> would you pay the, them or no? I would, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Nice. Uh, and I was a kid in high school getting business calls, and the teacher says, you gotta, you got to go to the principal because, you know, you can't be taking phone calls in class. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And, yeah, that was probably in business class too, right? Right. Yeah, it was like <laughs> That's a funny. stats class, you know. And, and it was funny because I ran into a teacher here not too long ago, and, and he had brought up that story. And oh, I was yeah. like, yeah, that, that happened. <laughs> yeah, that's that great. Mark Mark Twain said the thing to know about a, a student is what it is that keeps him from his studies. And that was it, taking business calls in class, yep. right? Yeah, that's interesting. Hey, I have a question for you. You're paying guys, you're buying lumber, buying sheet goods. How did you price your jobs? Well, too cheap. <laughs> that was a... <laughs> Well, how did you even come up with a price? I know we talked about that when we yeah. first met. No, it's a it's a it's a very tough thing when you're first getting going and you've never done it before, right? Because you're you're guessing at the labor. You know how long is it going to take? And I was somewhat using. I had a part time job at the time, washing dishes, and I was making like eleven bucks an hour. So in in part, I was kind of thinking if I could make fifteen an hour building cabinets, I'm winning. You know, but yeah. the reality, as I wasn't looking at the true cost of business, what it takes to have overhead and all the equipment, so it was really just a, it was really just a piece of paper writing down all the materials, what they're gonna all cost, and then a guess on how many hours I'm gonna have into it, and times that dollar figure I wanted to make per hour, and because I didn't really have overhead, that was about it. Gotcha. That's yeah. That's that's very common. Um, you see, you see a lot of people, you know, not even do the hour aspect. That might even be a little bit um, progressive for someone that's just starting out at that age. But they just take the materials and then, you know, double it or something like that, and come up with yeah. their amount for the project. I know that's a really common one. When was well, your first we're... lesson in? Go ahead. I was just going to comment on that and say it was interesting because I'd even ask my dad, you know, how do you how do you price it? And he would say things like, that. well, you take materials times three and you're you're probably pretty good. And, you know, there's a lot of merit to just some of those old principles that just do in a lot of cases work. Um, mm -hmm. You know, if you run the numbers, it's probably not too far off. But to know your cost is so important. And. I wish I had learned that a lot sooner. I give Martin a lot of credit for that because that was some of the things we went over in the coaching calls is, you know, what are your margins? You know, how much yeah. how much is your overhead, right? Yeah, what's the break even? Yeah. Yeah, what was your first experience like? Was there a job that you just got burnt on because you didn't price it right and you said, oh, I got to go back to my calculations and figure out a better bid for these jobs? 
well, I think it became a lot more real when we moved to Kokato and actually had a building we had to pay for, utilities that had to get paid for. You know, of course I was doing kind of trading my time for my uncle's space, but that that's, you know, that's not real dollars, right? That's it's real time, but it's not at at the time when you got your kid, you got time. So, um, I think that became real and I fortunately haven't made a mistake that's like, oh my goodness, we almost went under, but there was a couple jobs, probably actually later in in my career, not that long ago, within the last five years that have, that were like, ouch, you know, we need to have yeah. a process for signing off on stain colors so that we don't get into a $150,000 job and the customer says, that's not quite the color I want, I want everything perfectly matched and it's got to be you know, it now adds 40 grand to your finishing process, you know, and you and you don't get paid for it because, you know, it's not in the bid, it's just in the bid and right. the stain. Man, so, so interesting. And I know there's a lot of contractors that have been down that road and if they haven't, maybe they can learn before they do. Um, you, you moved to Gokeda at 20, you said, but uh, it sounds like you were kind of picking up steam as you're graduating high school what was the decision like not to go to college? You know, I had a lot of pressure in high school from even my shop teacher. Yeah, he said, you're, you're one of the best cabinet makers we've had come through here, you know, and that was kind of cool to hear that from him. But he said, go, you should really go to college, you know, you should get, a, should get an education, right? And they were pushing that so hard. I said, I'm not going to college. And he said, oh, I really think you should, you know, and I was like, and, and get a degree for what, you know? and and I see so many kids come out of come out of high school and feel that pressure to go to college. And you know, it's great if you want to be an accountant, a lawyer. You know, you, if you have that path, and there are some things you need that college for. But I, I've been able to. I did. I didn't choose the path of college. Went out on my own, and chose that direction. And it's kind of funny, you know. You get into your mid twenties, and you're making a good living while some of those people are starting to come out of college with all this debt and it was kind of that I told you so moment you know when we I I was about 25 and I sat down for uh, went out we took out uh, my shop teacher for Applebee's I think and and I was like so it's working (laughs) And and he of course he was super proud and and he's a great guy you know he's and kept it humble but it was a uh, it was fun to have that success and you know it worked out for me and I try to try to pass that along to some of these kids you know and I think the schools are transitioning now with the labor shortage and the trades it feels like they're saying oh I guess you know going to be a, a you know an electrician or a plumber or a cabinet maker isn't so yeah. bad you can make a good living and and not have all that debt yeah, for That's sure. That's really an important message, Sean. Uh, you obviously don't feel any regrets or you don't feel like you're less of a person because you don't have a college degree. I encounter that all the time with people who have successful businesses but still will drop in conversation. Man, I don't have a college degree. <laughs> you also don't have $100,000 in debt, you know? So Yeah, yeah it's these days. Schools are getting so expensive, man. I, I, I talk to kids all the time that are thinking about going to college, and it's like, you know, 70000 a year at a lot of these places. 
And oh, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's a scam, I think, uh, at a certain point when you're getting that pricey. Like the, the differentiation in the degree between a college that's 70000 and 20000 I mean, there, there are differences, but to a certain extent, what's the, what's the actual value? Uh, compared you know, to you know, I, when we have kids, I'm going to say the only reason we're sending you to college is to make connections. You know, if you go to Yale, Harvard, you're making, you're building those relationships. Mm-hmm. You're paying for the relationships yeah. um, because you can learn the skill on YouTube, right? For in most yeah. cases. <laughs> and and if you need to, if you need that specialized person, when you're building the company, hire them. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of wisdom from a 30 year old guy. That really is. That's, yeah. that's brilliant. Well, at the same time, though, like, what's the reality is, what are your connections now, Sean? I mean, you know CEOs that are, you know, head of big construction companies and other builders out there or supply houses that you have real connections with. I mean, those are that's a valuable network. You're also doing work for high-end homes, so the owners of those homes are good connections. I mean, I, could, I would argue that you might even have potentially better connections. Uh, I mean... Look at that. You, you know me and Martin. Like, what better connections yep. would you want? <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, it's true. There's a lot of truth to that. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. Awesome. But, there you know, absolutely is value in a college degree. But I, I think that a lot, of the, a lot of the things they say you can only get at college, I don't know that I completely agree in some ways. So. Well, and the problem with networking at that age is you don't know what you're networking for, right? If when you're exactly. in business, you have a you have a purpose, you have an yeah. intention, and a reason to foster that relationship, you know. So, yeah, it's it's so true, you know. You you start a business, and I, that's one of the the effects that I never never would have even thought of is like, wow, you're getting to meet. You know, we did a MBA referees house here not too long ago and just oh. just great relationships you know and yet you, you become friends with them and you get invited to their christmas parties and yeah it's it's really fun. did he like did he invite you to uh put some money on a game or anything like that recently nope no no no, no rigging going <laughs> not, on. not that he's gonna it's, say on a podcast it's it's all been level I asked him, I said, is there any of that going on, you know? And he said, no, 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 so they're not rigged. <laughs> not not as far as you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> well, you know, you really have said some really uh, insightful things. But uh, in the last, so it's been uh, 14, 15 years. Was there ever a time that you thought, man, I really screwed up. I shouldn't be doing this. You know what, Martin? I think one of the realizations I had at 25 was, uh, number one, you know, there's been, my family has some history of alcohol being a problem, right? And so, same with my wife, you know, her family has that. So we made a decision as a couple to say, hey, you know what? We're, we don't have a problem. We're going to nip this in a butt ahead of time before it becomes a problem. We're not going to drink anymore because it's not helping us on our mission to get where we want to go. And when we stop drinking, we're like, what do we do now? You know, and we got this extra time. (laughs) (laughs) So, so I'm like, you got to replace the habit. Right. And so reading business, you know, really just the, like Martin, you've got a book, you know, reading books like that, you know, to, to keep educating yourself, you know, you, you, 
when I graduated high school, I thought, oh, that's it. I don't have to ever open a book again. And that was, that was the philosophy until I hit that 25 mark. And then my regret at 25 was not knowing or realizing that there's all these great books out there that can help you get where you want to go. And I lost that seven years, you know, but better to catch it at 25 than 55, right? So, oh, man. Oh, absolutely. It's, hey, it's, we got to title this episode, A Philosopher from the Northern Plains. <laughs> I'm serious. This is great philosophy. I, I, it's so true. I mean, I, I really don't drink that much. Martin, you don't drink. But I, I think uh, there are serious consequences to saying yes to some things in your life uh, because it, it makes you say no to others. And for you, for a long time, you saying yes to alcohol might have been no to reading business books and you know growing and developing yourself. And there's always a trade-off. And I don't know that a lot of people realize in our culture that you don't necessarily have to drink to have fun uh, and you don't have to drink to relax. And I think those are lies that a lot of people buy into. And, you know, I'll have a beer every once in a while or something like that. But it's there's so many important things that you don't realize that you're trading for whenever you do those, you know, you have those behaviors. And now you see it in Oklahoma. I don't know what it's like in Minnesota, but we've we've essentially got a dispensary on every single corner now for when, since the marijuana laws were passed. It's and Boy, I would have never sure. you, yeah, you, I would have never thought up. like five years yeah. ago, I would have been like, that's a joke. No way. But I mean, that's another trade off that people are having to make at a younger and younger age um, with the accessibility of all these stimulants out there. So um, anyways, yeah, that, that's so true. Uh, uh, yeah. And yeah. and breweries around here, you know, there's there's one in every small town. So, yeah. But but what I'm kind of hearing is that there wasn't any time where you always thought this was a big mistake. Absolutely not. To start I don't to I don't regret it at all. That's cool. Well, I'm, I'm real interested, too, in evolution from a 20 by 20 garage. And we'll ask you to describe, I think I hear a CNC running in the background, maybe. Yeah. You know, uh, a <laughs> sophisticated shop. What, can you think of any tipping points, you know, a decision where you that you made that I really have to suck it up? And I don't know, like it could be hiring somebody, buying a $150,000 machine, renting a shop versus the, you know, are there any tipping points where you really had to say man I don't know if this is going to work and you made a decision and it turned out to be a, a big deal yeah absolutely I think right around that age 25 I started realizing like you know I kind of I'm halfway through my 20s and I I'm doing all right right like but I want to get to you know way well way bigger level and and so having that shift where you start pushing energy towards personal growth expands your mind to see you know I need to build a team right now I've got to actually be intentional about building a great team that can service a growing clientele because we are getting all the orders we could keep up with um, I mean I still work Saturdays Sundays but I mean back then it was working on the saws Saturdays Sundays late into the evenings you know and so it was realizing that we need to I need to figure out this hiring process and how to train people and how to lead people and once we started you know reading John Maxwell and learning about the laws of that the laws of growth and and 
applying it, well now we started having success where, you know, we could actually keep team members employed and, you know, have have them be doing that part of the process. So that allowed us to grow into, you know, we went we started with four hundred square feet, we've got eight thousand square feet now. And it was, you know, not all in one day, but it was really, you know, get we went to four thousand square feet and we bought the CNC. That was huge. You know, getting the getting the router was a game changer for sure. Mm-hmm. What uh, what did it cost you roughly? I got a steal of a deal on our our machine. That was like twenty two thousand, I think. Oh, oh really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, How did that happen? Yeah, you did you did you literally steal it? <laughs> <laughs> no, a guy in. Uh, I mean, those are hundred hundred twenty five hundred fifty thousand dollar machine easily. Yeah, yeah, and we've had it five years. This spring was five years, um, and it just it just let us down here a little bit ago we had to we had to get creative for a month while it was the parts were over in italy but up until that point it worked great uh, we're actually getting to the point where we're we're thinking about a new one and yeah you're right martin they're 150 180 200 grand yeah you know and, and how it, did you get it for 22. i bought a used one right and right. i found a i found a guy locally that wanted to go from a four by eight to five by twelve so he was just kind of taking up space in his shop and he was happy with that and that was five years ago too so prices you know 22 grand meant something different five years ago sure right but that's that's still a steal yeah yeah Man. it was that's great um and then it's the fact that it's lasted you five years i mean that's fantastic yeah. so i uh, think the the biggest shift for technology was getting that cnc and an edge bander because that allowed us to go into the frameless world which is a much more efficient build but it's also a higher quality cabinet you have to have precision equipment to be able to even do it Um, and people want more storage space inside their cabinets they want a modern look it's just where we see the market going so we're like we should get ahead of the curve and now today i'm i'm seeing shops just now getting into it you know and, and of course there's people that were ahead of us but yeah. kind of it was that was that was huge to get ahead of that a little bit at least for our area in minnesota can you uh you said frameless i probably everybody listening knows what we're talking about but what's frame cabinet versus frameless what's what's the difference great question so framed cabinetry is your traditional you have the solid lumber face pieces and the doors you know install on top of that frame um, and then a frameless box you've got essentially your your cases your side walls of your cabinet uh, make up the it's a box and then the doors hang right on top of that so okay um, yeah that I think that clarifies it but yeah yeah uh, you know, we've, we've talked about how you started right out of high school and uh, you're 30 now. Uh, are you 30? I am, yeah. Yeah, okay, cool. Uh, that's what I thought. Just wanted to make sure. But, I mean, that's 14 years of being in business. I mean, from the from its most basic form, right? And I think yep. that what's, what's amazing is there's probably not a lot of 30-year-olds that have had that much experience in business. And it just allows you to compound. It's not like you're just going to take a small step again and keep growing, but there's going to be a compound factor, compounding factor to that of 
this is, it's a big leap in the next year and an even bigger leap the year after. And I think that's something that we haven't talked about with college. Uh, and just even those people that are out there that are wanting to maybe start, like there's people that are listening that are not necessarily their own business owner, but maybe they're in construction and that delay sets you back so much. Like the lessons that you're still learning lessons today, right? Yeah. It's never ending, oh, yeah. but the lessons that you learned really early on, uh, I mean that you wouldn't have been this far without that. And I think that's, I've been in business seven years, uh, in this business. And I just think about how much I've learned and I'm learning each and every day. And to think that you're 14 years in business, uh, is, is fantastic. What? Yeah. Go ahead. I was just going to say, you're absolutely right. You know, that time is so precious. Those years you spend in, in school are years you're not actually, you know, learning in the field. So the way I view it anyway, you know, it's the, you get that degree and you go into the field and you find out it's all changed anyway, you know? Yeah. You, you guys are, you're, you're doing, you're growing. How many employees do you have now? We've got about 12 employees. 12 employees. Yeah. You're, you're in the millions in revenue. Um, for a lot of cabinet shops, from my experience and in, in speaking with them, there's so many of them that don't really break past that million dollar mark. Uh, they stay below that. Maybe they get a CNC machine. And if they do, they're just running that one machine. They've got maybe three to six guys in the shop. And they kind of just hang out at that level because they don't break past it. I, th I think since the first time I spoke to you, you've been a big proponent of uh, Grant Cardone and 10X. Maybe explain what, yes, what 10X is. But how did you get into that? And that I think that's played a big role in how you've continued to grow past that million-dollar mark. Yeah, you know, that's a that's a great point, Khalil. I think back to about 25, that's really about when I found out about Grant Cardone and Valuetainment. And uh, on the topic of Grant Cardone, you know, he's the one who pushes the, you know, self-education and learning and growing, you know, personal development. Um, and and so, you know, just continuing to do that has, has been huge. Um, That's great. And what uh, what is 10x? 10x is really just you know whatever you're doing or whatever you think your goal is, set the bar ten times of that. So if you want to go to three million, think about thirty million. You know, and if you operate, you know what? How would you have to operate to get to thirty million dollars in revenue? And if you're you know, if you're falling short of that, say you, you do take those actions and you land at 15, well, you're still way farther than the $3 million goal that you initially would have had, right? Right. Yeah. So really interesting. And I, I know that's been a huge thing for you is just like, I'm, I'm striving for more and more and more and it's helped you grow. What are some of the challenges currently that you guys are facing that you're kind of learning and walking through? Well, one of the things that we're trying to do is focus on like revenue per employee. And so, you know, it, it really trying to strive to be at that 350,000 per head and then getting to that level before we forward invest on more team members. How did you so get, think, uh, what would you think of this like revenue per, per head? Um, so there's a company called Cardone Ventures that we, we've been following along with and they talk about the science of business. And if you do the math, the best companies, not even the best, the, the companies that perform 
by putting you know 15 to 22 percent to the bottom line those companies all generate about three hundred and fifty thousand dollars per year per employee and so okay. there's there's the target is that 350 but really actually they say 500 is doable so you're kind of getting to that 350 and then you're adding the next team member and then you're you're moving forward mm. we're uh we're, we're close but that's a it's it's definitely a mindset shift that has to happen to you know with every single person on your team because it's a it's a it's a different operating speed than what we were used to that's for sure yeah the uh, that's something i measured for a long time with companies when i get new clients and in oklahoma not just oklahoma but 150 is pretty good i mean that's that's what i see and they're successful companies but they're doing the six or seven percent to the bottom line and and in passing talking about a million khalil there are 30 million a little more than that uh, businesses in the United States and only 4% ever make it to a million dollars in revenue. So uh, yeah. you're exceptional in that regard. And, and circling back to that million dollar mark, you know, that was a tough, that was a tough one to cross. And that really took the leadership learning, you know, that personal growth to push and build a team because now you're, you know, you can get to 800,000 with you and three guys, right? And yeah. maybe even less now with the inflation, but um, you know, breaking past that million-dollar mark is was was tricky. We stayed under it for a lot of years, and actually, last year was our first year to actually break into. I think we did 1.4 last year, and we'll we'll double that this year. So um, it's like once you get past it, now you can get you can get to that three three four million. It seems like pretty. Pretty, pretty easily. Pretty. I mean, I don't want to say easy, but it's the the path easier. It's easier to clear. do that than the the get to a million. Yeah. You know that that I agree with you 100%. I see it all the time. People bumping, they looking at a million like it's some. Uh, it's it's a mental barrier, uh, and it's the old Roger Bannister story. Nobody ran a sub four minute mile till he did, and yep. like ten guys did within the next four months. How do, you, how do you explain that? I don't know. But the second million is easier than the first million. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's a mental barrier, but it's also a systems and processes barrier because your people have to change and the systems have to change to break past that million. And what we're seeing is that at about three and a half, four and a half, you know, between 3.5 and 4.5, we're going to hit another break point. And so today we're really focusing on leadership development across our whole team, you know, specifically our leadership team where, you know, getting them to understand, read the books and develop themselves so they can be leaders because to get to, you know, eight or 10 million is now you have to have, you're no longer pulsing on every piece of the business, right? Like right now I, I, I have a pulse kind of on everything, but at 10 million, you have to trust that those people, those three or four people below you, have a pulse on everything. So you can. How are you doing that? How are you executing ex uh, the leadership development? I mean, you're just handing them a book and say, "Read it." No, we do a weekly. We follow a EOS uh, traction. So yeah. that's a yeah. There's a scaling up, Vernon Harnish, and then there's traction. 
Um, we chose traction and so our leadership team meets weekly every Friday and we, we put goals and set quarterly rocks and that's one of the things we all we all try to have a book of the book of the month you know that we're reading together as a team in out in addition to our books we're trying to read on our own time yeah that's so fantastic that's, yeah that's one way I mean there's there's certainly we're looking for we're always looking for new ways to improve and you know try to grow grow ourselves faster we you you mentioned systems a lot can you tell us what some systems are that you have uh, in place and and how you have them I mean are they actually written out are they videos are they just people something people know how to do can well you describe been, your uh, yeah yeah absolutely so there's kind of platforms and systems right so the the platforms that we use are things like Trello uh, with the job cards uh, recently, thanks to Cleal, integrating HubSpot as our CRM and getting that dialed in and integrated to all of our, you know, different platforms like the QuickBooks and email and all that. Um, and then there's the, you know, the SOPs. Uh, we're finding that checklists seem to work the best, you know, but it that's because we're hiring people, we're training them, we're actually transitioning to YouTube videos. You know where where we just put out put a YouTube video. You know I make a quick video on how to do a task, and then now the next person that's trained in or getting trained in watches that video, and yeah, if they got questions they can definitely ask. But it it solves a lot of that. Yeah, I think uh, I think that your technology really can influence your, your, your systems. The software that we use influences the systems we have in our company. We've talked about that on recent episodes, Martin. How are those, how is Trello impacting the systems you create? How is HubSpot impacting the systems you create inside of the different areas of your business from production to sales to administration? Well, HubSpot being the newest thing, it has been uh, has been really good. Still learning the nuts and bolts. Obviously, I've got a good good uh, got my head wrapped around it, but we're definitely using that for being able to see what's in the pipeline, you know, for sales mm -hmm. and being able to, you know, like just last night I was looking uh, on a couple deals that one of our sales guys is doing and. You know, just following that conversation, seeing how it's going, where you can get a feel without having to go ask them. You know, how's that Smith job coming along? When these, when's that going to close? You can you can see the phone conversations and the and the emails back and forth, and it's just all in one spot. So that's that's huge for that. And then all the the metrics that you get with HubSpot for being able to track your sales volume and you know how your ads are doing and everything like that is is uh what we're excited about it you know it's a it's a mindset shift to to think about systems in that way and to invest in technology in the way that you have um what did it used to be like let's go back to like 25 year old sean right what were the systems like for sales what did what did sales look like as a whole and how is it different now how did that transformation come about you know, back then it was a lot more in my head. I tried to keep notebooks on, on customer lists. Obviously, I think 
had integrated QuickBooks at that time, so we had the customer database, you know, at least with that. Um, sure. But definitely a lot more in my head, and and that was fine then because you you know if you're gonna if you're gonna operate with you know less than three people, you probably don't need all of it. Not not that it would yeah. be a bad thing to have because it's certainly I think it, I think it could make even a three man team more efficient. But but when you have that when you start building out that team and you need that communication to channel, you know, flow through, that's where, that's where our break point came with it. Where it's like, what we, what we're doing isn't working anymore. When I, when I hired my first estimator, because now I'm not touching every customer anymore. So we got to have a way to access the, you know, how is he, how is he making that call? You know, is he following up? You know, I guess ways to measure the, the team's performance, right? Yeah. When uh, what, when you think about, you know, you're in a, a smaller area for Minnesota. Uh, you're not too small, but you're outside. You're not in a big city. Do you ever think that you're going to outgrow this area? Does that become a, a challenge ever for you as you think about reaching that 30 million mark maybe? What, what is that going to look like? How are you thinking about approaching new locations and servicing new areas or whatever it might be? Yeah, that's a, that's a topic we've dis- been discussing recently, actually. Um, so our goal is to go national. Uh, obviously, we're focusing on our core market first, and we want to make sure we're capitalizing on that. We think we can easily be a $20 million company in Minnesota, you know, servicing local you know, just the business in the two-hour area, um, and, and maybe 20 is a stretch, but right around that 15, 20, and then from there we start looking at other markets. You know, <clears throat> Zach, our estimators from Chicago. So we were talking about do we start leveraging? You know, once we hit get past that 10 million, do we start talking to people in Chicago or, you know? So we don't have a we don't have a the path exactly set out for that step by step it's it's still uh, fluid and being yeah being made i guess what does travel time what look is, like uh, i mean you're gonna, you're in you're in the small area and if you're going to be doing jobs all over minnesota how do you equate that do you set up another shop at another certain distance or how, how are you approaching that you know we're we're definitely especially over the next three years we're definitely keeping acquisitions as a as a you know keeping our minds open to acquisition for that uh one of the things we're realizing is what makes us different and better than the big the big shops of the world is that we handle it from design to install and the customers place a lot of value on that installation which is the toughest piece of the business to scale because it takes, it take, I mean, it's you got to be personable and you know, got to know how to install cabinets, right? So we've got two great guys that do our installs now, and you know they're both probably ready to take on another, you know, go their own way and run their own crews. Um, but that'll be that'll be what we're trying to navigate in outside markets. How do we how do we maintain that, you know, Sean's cabinetry quality? Because if you you can take great cabinets and make them look not so great with a bad install yeah so we don't we don't want our name on something that isn't put in put together right and things falling apart because the contractor in you know uh, arizona didn't do his job right yeah martin you were gonna do you have a question 
Well, I kind of starting with the end, and you you maybe answered a little bit, but the place I start with most people is our vision. We're halfway through this, but what is your vision for Sean's cabinetry? You said go national, and you said you're working on it, but uh, what what's your vision? We set out, you know, when I started the company, the vision is simply to provide the best quality cabinetry to to great customers, you know. Um, and so there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, you know our, we got our 10-year targets we've got our our five-year targets but our vision is just you know high-end cabinetry you know to to as many people as we can service um which actually it's funny you mentioned that martin the i'm actually reading a book that's that's making me rethink the vision and and gaining clarity to that so we'll probably mm -hmm. We'll probably actually be sending something over to Cleo to update the website with here shortly, because we're talking, you know, the mission and the vision, and you know, I think yeah. a lot of for me, a lot of it was I just had a passion, right? And I just set out, fell in love with doing the craft, and then you know, once I felt like by about 25, felt like I had learned and mastered the craft. It was going forward with now, how do I master the craft of business? You know, and so, so the it's changing a little bit, but it's uh, it's, yeah, it's it's fun, it's exciting. I, I like the transition. Well, that that leads me to another question. Uh, might be a little strange, but what do you think about when you go to work now? When you show up at seven thirty <laughs> or six or five or nine or whenever, what are you thinking about? Well, as a general rule. A lot of it has become, a lot of my thought has become more around the team we're building. You know, you spend more time thinking about what your, how your decisions are going to impact the people that are, you know, trusting you with, with their, uh, their livelihoods. Um, so, you know, you're wanting to make the right moves and do the right things and think things through to make sure we're all going to prosper. Um, and then of course, Without the customer, there doesn't need to be a team. So I'm always thinking about how do we make the product better? How do we service them better? How do we get back to customers faster? Get more, you know, the quote out faster, return the call faster. Um, those, those are the, the big things. At marketing, as of re recently this year, has really been uh, something we've been thinking a lot more of. You know, working with Khalil, it's. Uh, it's opening our eyes up to the possibilities and, and working on more content and just so we can inform the buyer because they're, they're already looking at somebody's website for information. Nobody's calling these days, you know, without informing themselves because we got the internet. Right. Right. Well, you've mentioned, uh, you know, I talk about, and we talk about on this podcast a lot, the four areas of business with leadership, guiding the business, getting the business, doing the business, and administering the business. You've already talked quite a bit about guiding it, the leadership. You're talking about marketing. You obviously know and want to improve the actual function of building and installing. On the administrative side, can you talk about a little, some of the things that maybe surprised you from being in your garage to where you are now that you had to learn about that you knew nothing about that you weren't even aware was part of business those are the things that jump up and grab a lot of guys 
Yeah, the admin side of the business. That uh, you never, you never would have thought. You know, back in the garage. <laughs> who would have thought? Yeah, who would have thought that you'd need, you know, almost need a full-time bookkeeper, right? Just entering in the the vendor bills and all that stuff. Um, recently, who who would have thought you need books? Yeah. At one time, you know, there was, yeah, there was a thing where we didn't even have, you know, QuickBooks. So, um, yeah. yeah, yeah, you've got really what we're finding is there's, there's, uh, there's those four areas of business, right? You've, you do like Martin, you just said, you've got the administration. So we're feeling really good about the administration. We, my mom actually does our books. Uh, we've got a CPA doing payroll, you know, and we're, we're feeling great about that, you know, and then you've got the you've got to have the team that makes sure the product's getting built correctly to the customer spec and we got a great foreman we've got great installers you know and we got that piece handled really well um, and then you've got to have somebody chasing the marketing right so to, you can get the business you know the sales and the marketing piece and sales i feel like we got a great sales team but the marketing piece we're learning, so we're starting to put more effort on that, um, and and kind of craft out a role, you know, as a right now a partnership with Khalil and and me and him tackling that side of it, and then the the HR, the human side of the business, is the piece where right now I'm I'm seeing as our next breakpoint because to get to that ten million dollar business, yeah, that's a full time role, you know, just chasing, yeah. you know figuring out the, the legalities of people and hiring the people and posting the ads for, to attract, you know, to actively be seeking out great talent, you know, all the time and calling them back and keeping them, hey, this is where we're at now, you know, you know, try to try to have it so when you need to make that hire, you've got 25 people ready to take the position, right? Well, you're, you're nailing it. That all administrative stuff, you know, is books and using the books and HR and corporate governments and insurance and banking relationships and regulatory workers comp, just all OSHA. I yeah. don't know if you've ever had OSHA in your shop, but I like to ask guys, I say, you got a form 300, which yeah. is an OSHA form for incident. And a lot of people go, what? I said, well, anyway, yeah. uh, gotta have I, all that stuff. kind of in one of the areas I love, of course, how do you use your books well the goal of great books is to make great decisions right Ooh, you're good man <laughs> you know we're sounds like we're, you've read a book or two <laughs> well i read yeah. the profit problem <laughs> the, this <laughs> is a good moment for us to pause for our sponsored ad uh the profit problem by martin holland uh, check it out if you'd like to have yeah, less stress say, more time money, why don't money. i have any <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah. No, I mean, really, it's, uh, a lot of people don't keep books uh, other than to pay taxes, which they do with bank statements, because they don't know why they're useful. And I was kind of leaning into margins, and you understand what margins are and break even. And, and, you know, I don't know if you look at your books every day, but you look at them. You know, weekly or twice, twice a week. Try to try to look at them once a day, but the reality is you get you get busy. You get, you know, try to save it for like Fridays and Wednesdays. You know, um, yeah. The 
having great books. You know, when we we started working together, Martin, that was the that was a struggle we were having because the right. ma with all the matching issues. You know, you you build a job yeah. one month and then install it the next, and you invoice it for the next, and it looks like you made great money in July, but you actually made good money in June, and July is going to be a yeah. tough one. So, you know, we're we're actually you know getting just now, and I think you know actually getting the true numbers every month having the systems you know in place where guys do, are doing inventory and we're doing the whip reports and everything is is you know dialed in and it takes a while to build those systems out that's for sure but the power of having that dashboard and the data there to be able to make a decision oh we hired this person to assist in you know the office and is it working you know is that decision paying off or do we need to you know transition or do we need to encourage or you know just helps you make those those decisions and catch them before they they, they sink your ship I'm I don't know if you want to say this but uh, what kind of margins do you shoot for well when we when we quote jobs we're, we're aiming for 40 percent okay so, and does competition let you do that? Or, I mean, are you button heads on price, or, or do you have such a an advantage through your name and quality that you don't yeah. worry about what the competitors do? So, it's a it's a multifold answer, I guess. The price is the price is only an issue in an absence of value. So if you mm -hmm. If you position yourself with a great attitude, you know, can do, love to help you, we want to make it work, you know, we're your guy, you know, and you're, you're getting back to people fast, that, that right there in this market right now, if you can answer the phone, you, you'll get the job. So price is not a problem. It's only, it's only a mindset. If you think, you know, you get so many guys that say, oh, I can't get no work. Well then, how does uh, how does Gucci sell their products? You know, you don't see discounts at at Louis Vuitton, Gucci. You know, they're they're still selling. So right. or even yep. Birkin bags. You know, hundred grand for a bag. So <laughs> I'm just. Have you got a Gucci store there? Uh, <laughs> in, we got uh, one in the the Mall of America, I think. Yeah. Oh yeah, oh, really? everything's in the Mall of America. Look at that. Yeah. What. Uh, you know, the thing about current challenges people are having, you know, you hear about, especially in the trades, materials, labor, are issues. What are you seeing materials-wise these days right now? Is it ever a challenge on certain aspects of hardware or lumber, anything like that? Uh, material was a definite challenge last year. It's still it's still lingering, um, but I think yeah. we're we're kind of on the back end of the material challenges. It feels. How did you like handle that when uh, last year? In Q3 of last year, I spent like 80 hours of time personally calling vendors. Are we going to have material next week? Are we going to have this? Are we going to have drawer slides? Are we going to have it? Oh, can we buy ahead? You know, we had at one point an extra couple hundred sheets of material on hand just to ensure we weren't going to run out. And, yeah. you know, looking back, we never did run out. We never did get the call where. Uh, well, we we can't ship it to you today. Actually, there was one thing: the the drawer slides, bloom drew, bloom drawer slides, uh, through our vendor. There was a time early this year where they said we're on back order, we can't get them, and we had because of that 
the time I put in, we had a pallet of slides sitting on the shop floor that we could pull from, and it kept us going. So, and we we're trying to be proactive on all these things to make sure we can still get our clients the great, good quality products. In a good time, too, and a good deliverable. Uh, yeah, exactly. To, and then to touch on your, yeah, to touch on your people side of the business, I, I guess I just got to give a shout out to our team because they're awesome. You know, Jace, yeah. he's been with us, you know, five gotta years. got to shout out Jace. I think I've done it in two episodes yeah. already, but again, yeah, shout out Jace. Five years with <laughs> us, you know, so now he's a lifer. No. <laughs> I hope so anyway, but no, he's been great. You know, Jeff, you know, all the guys, every, every single one of them, they show up every day and they're committed to, to winning and being a part of the success and the journey we're on. So you gotta have a great team if you're gonna scale up your business, you know? How, how do you find them though? Like, are, is, is labor, you were just hiring for a CNC position. Is that ever an issue with getting people in the door? You know what? It's, it's, I don't want to say it's not an issue. It's obviously something you have to do and needs to get done. It requires dedication, but I think mindset has so much to do with it. I talk to mm -hmm. all these contractors, you know, of course we're selling cabinets to them and they say, oh, there's no great people. And I say, well, have you ever thought about saying there are great people and I just, I just got to find them, you know, like they're out there because your competitors have great people. You know, there's companies that are dominating the, the market and they have great people. So is it that there's not people or is it that your mindset is that there's no great people and who wants to go to work for somebody who says, no, they're, all people suck and there's no great people. Right. So, it sounds like Martin was your business coach at one point, but maybe, I, I don't know. He, maybe he, he was. Oh, there was, yeah. <laughs> there is a fantastic book called What to Say When You Talk to Yourself. And Sean, you just nailed it. You just nailed it. Even if you don't believe it, say it. There are good people out there. I just have to find them. Even if you don't believe it, yeah. because it will change how you think. And that's brilliant. So that, yeah, absolutely. Um, number one thing is mindset, right? It's always starts yeah. with your mindset. Yeah. The number two thing is yeah. we strategy, right? We pivoted during that COVID lull where everyone was laying everyone off. We took it as an opportunity to, to hire, you know, four or five people. So I think we, we had four when COVID started, four people in the shop, and now we got 12. So we've hired. See, and that's, that's one of those tipping points where you made a decision. You committed to hiring four guys. And I'll have to, I'm, I'm guessing, but you're not sure that the work's out there. I mean, maybe you're pretty confident to pay for four new guys because everybody else is laying off. But you did it. And the work was there and here you go yeah in that time it was it was a risk right because it was kind of a you know it wasn't an all or nothing bet but it was it was going you know putting 40 percent of the chips on the table saying you know i think this COVID thing is gonna is gonna be all right i think we're all gonna be okay and i think that because people are locked down and in their homes they're probably gonna start looking at their cabinets and going Ugh. so <laughs> They're going to maybe be calling us. And uh, the fact that the government decided to print $4 trillion, you know, that, yeah. that certainly <laughs> added to the, to, to, you know, the money being there for the, the projects. So, right. yeah, but it yeah. was, hey, you know, I want to go ahead. Change, change the subject just a little bit, but I want to make sure we talk about it. How do you manage, this is kind of a pivot, but 
how do you manage your customers' expectations? Okay. Well, especially when there are things like delays on material and and I just want to know how you do it because that is a huge component. Yeah, great question, Martin. Uh, we actually have a client expectation document that we run through a, che a checklist with every client that signs up. Um, most of the time that checklist is actually something that's in you know mine and Zach's head where we're making sure we go through it. Um, I've, if, I have any, if I have any intuition that says this client maybe doesn't understand all of what we talked about along the way or they're newer to the, the cabinetry buying experience, I'll actually physically lay that paper down and just go one by one through that list with them to make sure and then have them sign it. Um, so that's how we manage it. There's always new things that come up and you just add them to that checklist. <laughs> that is the great benefit of having a checklist is that now you can add to it. Yep. Right. No, I think that's another, that's awesome. The other thing is, you know, the, having the attitude that the customer is always right, but then also being able to negotiate and reason because sometimes you know, a customer can be unreasonable and you know, you have to, you have to say, well, it is a piece of wood. Like, you know, it, it has this grain or, you know, whatever that example or the, the stain, you know, it, it does this thing here. You know, we, we actually have very, very few people that it's ever an issue because we communicate that on the front end and, sh you know, share those challenges and offer them, hey, we can do something about it, but it's going to cost another ten grand or whatever that is. You know, there's there's a veneer we can buy that's green matched, you know, sequential, and it's going to you know run around your whole room, but it's going to be an upcharge. So right, you know, yeah. So communication. Hmm. Yeah, and that I call that document you're talking about a positioning document, but it's so important because I say, how many kitchens have you put in in the last sixteen years? Yeah, 500, you know, oh, how many right. has that? Uh, yeah, asking you. Yeah, that's a good question. It's, uh, I think we did a hundred, a little over a hundred last year, you know, so yeah, yeah you're probably, was, probably pretty close to that 500 number. So you've done 500, your average customer's done how many? Probably one or two. <laughs> oh, probably, or, probably or, zero. Or their first one, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. So who knows what's going to happen and who doesn't. Yeah. And if you take the time to explain them ahead of time, I, I think that's another brilliant idea. Heads off. Do you wind up having to negotiate on price or do you negotiate on price? I don't, I, I'm not going to lie and say no, never. Um, but we, what we try to actually do, and especially, especially in the last, you know, couple of years, as you read and educate and learn and grow, um, some of that education is sales training and reading mm -hmm. books on sales. And we, we really are big on adding value. If we're in a position where we're up against another you know, qualified competitor and they like us a little better, if we could just match the price, you know, we'd, we'd love to do it with you. Well, how about we add, how about we add this feature, you know, or we add, handles right. or something some more value to the project you know instead of instead of reducing the price and usually that nine times out of ten that's that's the that yeah. works every time. 
That's really good. How how are you planning to keep your your people motivated, uh, not just in this season, but as you scale to ten million? You know, in this next uh, bump that you might see uh, at fifteen million. How are you planning on motivating your leadership group that you have right now? Well, I think it starts with me, right? Trying keeping myself motivated, keeping myself excited, making sure the vision's clear. We have a path. Um, yeah. You know, further aligning the team with the vision and the mission to get us to where we want to go. But then also hiring people that are already, you know, motivated to some degree. If you get the right people, they're already excited about life and, you know, happy to be, you know, involved. You know, really being disciplined on the culture, not letting people that are negative in. You know, thinking back when me and Martin were working together, there was a time where we had to make a really tough decision. We had a great, great guy working for us, and he was producing. They really could get kitchens built fast. But the problem is, he, you know, we're trying to scale up the team, and he's out there being negative, and brings, you know, the production down on three other guys because he's having a bad day. And you know, after we kind of talked to him a few, multiple different times, we just had to cut the cord on it, and we said, no more. We're not, we're not bringing in negativity into our environment and if it does happen if it somehow slips through the crap cracks we're cutting we're cutting the head off right away yeah culture is so important uh, especially if you're trying to grow that big and you're trying to keep people motivated and you know positive those kinds of things you can't allow a poor culture poor poor values seep into your business so really really good point that goes back to the mindset you talked about too if you don't think there are good people out there who are positive and engaged and interested in what you're doing and Mm -hmm. not just working for a paycheck if you don't think they're out there you're not going to have them yeah if that's the only type of person you can tolerate you will find them and keep them that's absolutely true martin yeah well man we've we've talked about quite a bit here um it's really good to hear your story and to see what you're you're running into as you scale and how you're approaching it. Uh, I think the philosopher, phil, philosopher from the, what did you say, the Northern Plains, Martin? The, the Northern Plains, the <laughs> philosopher of the Northern Plains. That's your new title. It's get so, rid of CEO, I mean, get rid of it, owner, philosopher of the Northern Plains. The philosopher. I love it. Oh, it's everything you said today, Sean, I'm just sitting here with my jaw on my chest at 30 years old uh, that you know that already, and it just continued to grow. I mean, will you still talk to us like when you're uh, head of a uh, top 50 company oh, in the United yeah. States and <laughs> New York, high, yeah, you know, 30th floor penthouse on looking over time for uh, Central Park? You know, Martin, it's so it's, you know, we joke, right? But absolutely, yeah. absolutely. You know, <laughs> I place a lot of value on the, the mentors that have helped me along the way, you know, you being one of them. And you know we've had others and it's it, it's just they're the building blocks to get you to where you want to go so absolutely well the thing i have to point out here is that sean did it right yeah uh, a lot of people hear it listen to it it's like going to a seminar and hearing this huge motivating speaker and you're just going ape you walk out of there you're all fired up you get back to work and you do nothing yeah and uh we you didn't really give us a really fearful tipping point i know you've had them but it takes courage i mean 
because everything's a bet and it takes courage to hire those guys. It didn't take as much courage as I thought to buy the CNC at 22,000, but, but still <laughs> at the time, 20, 22,000 was probably a big chunk of your bank account, right? Yeah, it was a lot of money like, back then. At that time. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I think congratulations on that. Yeah, and circling back to that tipping point, you know, I think there was one one time where we had we were in a we were in a spot where a job just was not going our way. We couldn't we could not get that thing to come out and the the client was I mean, to go into the story a little bit, one one of the things that happened was we delivered the cabinetry and they didn't have any garage doors on the front of the, you know, on the on the garage and so there's this pile of sand sitting out in the in the driveway and it's a windy day in the country and the guys you know standard procedure you get the cabinets kind of coming in the house and I think they had a few too many to stage out in the house so they left some sit in the garage and that wind blew sand on top of those cabinets now these were primed only cabinets so it wasn't the end of the world you know they, they had to get painted anyway homeowner comes home and just loses it you know, they're, they're, what is there sand on these cabinets? These are brand new, you know? And so it was like, from that point, everything we did was wrong. You know, we just got, we just got nitpicked. And, and so there was all this thing, all these things going around with this pretty good sized job, you know? And then we had a couple of houses. We had just more work than we could handle. And our main assembler quits, you know, he, he, he decides, to, oh, I, I'm done, you know, because I mean, we were coming in on Sundays, you know, trying to get this job, you know, we had to rebuild cabinets on it and just for the silliest things. But it, it was at that point where I was like, oh man, this is tough, just getting beat down, you know, and, and I mean, I don't, I kind of view my business as a baby, so I'm never going to, you know, throw it, throw it to the side or give up on it. But it, that was a time where it was like, can I, how much more can I take, you know? And, and man, it, looking back, the timeline on, I kind of look at that as like the bottom, you know, like just everything going wrong. And within six months time of that event happening, we had hired a great shop foreman that's still running the shop now. Uh, we, we found some great other, you know, Sanders, you know, we got Nora, she's in the office now. We, we found some key people and we dug our way out of that hole. And I guess that was, that was really a, a, big, a, a big event. You know, looking back, it was, it was fun to overcome that challenge and yeah. gives you more confidence for the future. Absolutely. Always does. And, you know, any, any struggle you bump up against, it's only going to make you stronger uh, and help you grow. So, so much uh, good wisdom in this uh, episode from you, Sean. We really appreciate you being on. Uh, and we'll, uh, we'll probably have you back on as you hit that uh, 30 million mark here in like 18 months or so. We'll be ready to have say, you back what on. what is that? And, uh, Christmas of 2023, we'll have him on? Yeah, perfect. And perfect. there you go. Yeah. Hold me no, accountable. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Perfect. No, it's been a pleasure, Sean. Thanks for being on. Thanks for sharing your story and, and so much with our audience. And yeah, we'll, we'll catch you well, around thanks. soon. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It was fun. Always great to talk to you both. Thanks. Thanks for listening to The Cashflow Contractor. Check out our website in the show notes or visit thecashflowcontractor.com.